CBC podcast where we explore Christian theology and practice for the building up of God's family. My name is Josh White, the Adult Ministries Director at LBC, and it's my pleasure to be with you on another episode of the LBC podcast. So today we want to talk about the question of whether a genuine believer can lose their salvation, which really is a sensitive but also necessary question to answer. So to help us better understand this issue, Pastor Eric is joining me today. So thanks for being here, Eric. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah. So before we dive in, I heard you have kind of an interesting story with this question and how you got hired at LBC. So would you mind sharing that with us briefly? Oh, man. My hiring uh, situation was really crazy. Uh, I think I was barely three or four months old enough to drive the church van. So it freaked out everybody. Yeah. So I got interviewed more than anyone, especially when I came up to speak at the LBC. Everyone asked if I was a new student to the high school group. And I was like, no, I'm actually the guest speaker. Oh, man. So I think that's what played a role in this. So I had already done multiple interviews and they're like, we really want to do one more. And so I had to meet with all the pastors uh, in Santa Clar- Santa Clar- Santa Clarita and uh, at Claim Jumper. And so we're at a big table and they're asking me, you know, what do you think the theology in James is showing? And what's your view on the atonement? And how do you see justification? And how would you share the gospel? And what would you tell a pregnant teenager? Like, and I'm just getting, you know, lambasted from everywhere. Yeah. And Pastor Roger at this point hasn't said anything. And he just kind of calmly says, can you lose your salvation? And I said, no. He said, all right, we're done. Let the guy eat. And you never asked me another question. And I was like, man, he's kind of a quiet guy. It took me like four years to figure out from that one question, if you work backwards, he knew my theological framework. And I was like, that was genius, but I wasn't smart enough to understand it. Yeah. And so that, uh, I think for him sealed it. And it was just really funny. I'm like, the head pastor only asked me one question. I was like, is that a bad thing? Is that a good thing? And it made me really nervous. And then eventually I figured it out like, oh, that was genius. So yeah, that's part of, part of my process, how I got here. Yeah, that's a, that's a great story. And I think it really does highlight the importance of this, of this question of, can you lose your salvation? And really what you believe about that question reveals so many other things about what you believe about God and mankind. So as we get started today, I want to kind of help set a framework for how we're going to go about answering this question. So the question of can you lose your salvation really comes up in our current Sunday morning series, which is focused on the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, there are several verses known as the warning passages, primarily in Hebrews 6 and in Hebrews 10. And the language and content of these verses present such a severe warning that it's led some to the conclusion that you can lose your salvation. So for our discussion today, we're actually not going to focus on the passages in Hebrews because Eric is going to go over those verses and his sermons over the next couple weeks. So instead, what we want to do is we want to look at this question from the rest of Scripture and also consider kind of some practical implications. So that's kind of where we're going today. Um, Eric, do you want to add anything else to kind of the framework of how we're going to answer this question? Yeah, I think it's important we get in the habit of interpreting Scripture in light of Scripture. And sometimes you can do some gymnastics in a passage and make it fit um, your theological framework. But when you take the Bible in its entirety, um, the Bible always agrees with itself. Yeah. And so it just kind of forces you to see the broad 
scope of scripture. And then that helps you see how we're getting to where we're getting within that passage. Because Hebrews 6 is a hard passage to see. But when you look at it in the light of all the other passages, you go, oh, okay, that, that makes more sense now. Yeah, absolutely. We want to look at the context that that's in in order to understand it properly. And we want to make sure that one verse that's challenging is never going to completely um, prove that a certain doctrine is false or true either way. Yeah. So we want to look at the entirety of scripture on this subject of can you lose your salvation? So with that in mind, our first question uh, for this morning is why is the question of can you lose your salvation a sensitive issue? Yeah, it's really sensitive Um, And what's interesting is that most people who have a hard time when they come to me with this question, it's not about themselves. It's about someone they care about. And usually, usually, not always, but usually the conversation goes like, well, this person I know or my son or my daughter um, is not walking with the Lord and doesn't believe in Jesus. And if they were not a Christian, right, um, there's no way I'm a Christian because they're way better than I ever was. Yeah, or so they're the, more spiritual. Yeah, they're more spiritual than I was. So then you must be able to lose your salvation because the alternative would be that they were never a Christian. And that just doesn't sit right with them because in their experience, in their feelings, that person was one of the greatest Christians they know or definitely a better Christian than them. Yeah. And then the other side of it is you have... um you know, a wayward person in your family, usually it's kids, but you have that person and they want to know that even though they're way off that they're still going to heaven and they want to know that, Hey, there, it doesn't matter. They they can do anything they want. And so yeah. you see kind of both sides play out in, in bad ways. And so hopefully this morning we can kind of clear some of that up with great sensitivity and uh, ultimately trusting God, the father, even more. And uh, we understand how hard that is when you have someone you care about and you want to know their eternal destiny. Yeah. And so we want to know that we can't answer that 100%. Only God knows that. Uh, But the scriptures do give us guidelines and help us get uh, in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. And this question is, it's a little bit, it's different than maybe other questions we see in the church because maybe it's a little bit more based on how people think about this question, as you were mentioning, is a little bit based more on experience rather than intellect. Um, and so I think part of it is we're, we're wanting to make sure that we bring the truths of Scripture um, mm-hmm. to that experience and making sure that really we're going to the scriptures for what's true. But we want to acknowledge that it's a sensitive issue. It's a difficult issue. Um, and ultimately that we need to, to trust God in this issue and the scriptures do help provide clarity as well. Um, so moving on to the next kind of question, what is the big deal if you can lose your salvation? Yeah. And you'll, you'll start to see, this play out more when we get into our scriptures. Um, but fundamentally it, it has a consequence. And I think that's where most people aren't trying to do the things we're about to talk about. Um, but they don't realize it when you change one thing, all the other pieces it's, you know, it touches. And so it touches the nature of God. It touches the nature of salvation. It touches what Jesus did. For example, um, one like practical question would be if this is this is true 
how do you lose your salvation? Like if you're really angry and you yell at God, are you done? But like if you were angry, but you didn't mean it, um, you know how sometimes we get angry and we say things we don't mean. So you can say that you want to lose it, but you don't actually lose it because you didn't mean it. Well, how do you know when you mean it? Yeah. You know, is it a walking away? But if that walk away was a reaction, but in like three weeks, you kind of settle down and all of a sudden you're not as angry. Um, did you leave that whole time? And so if your actions can't do it and your words can't do it, then what does do it? And how does it get finalized? Um, I think that's the practical problem. Um, the theological problem is that in Scripture, it's pretty clear that, you know, Jesus pays for your sin and then God, as the judge, accepts that payment and renders us innocent in a verdict. Justification has a legal uh, framework within it. And so we're declared righteous. And so essentially you're going to the judge and saying, I overrule you guilty. Yeah. And I am not declared. And so to overrule God's uh, verdict, that's a big deal, you yeah. know. And then when you read in the Gospels that Jesus loses none that he's given. None of them can be taken from his hand. And we'll get to those passages. But then um, you can open up Jesus's hand and jump out and say, no, thanks. Um, Jesus loses one of the sheep that was given to him. Um, you know, so it has practical implications for Jesus. And, and I'd say one of the bigger ones, you know, you think of Romans 8, says that nothing can separate us from the love of God except me, right? And yeah. so now you're able to separate yourself from the love of God. So you look at all those passages, it, it really changes God's ability to accomplish his promises and to do what he says in scripture. And it kind of makes us more the judge and jury and not God. And, you know, Jesus payment for our sin is insufficient because you're like, no, you rejected the payment. It wasn't good or you gave it back. So that's just some things. There's lots we could talk about, but hopefully those are some practical illustrations to think through is it does change God and it does change the cross and it does change Jesus. Yeah, it, it really is a big deal if, if you can lose your salvation. And so I think part of it, which we'll kind of see in the next section, is that if you could lose your salvation, salvation is such a big theme in the scriptures, God saving his people by coming himself, giving his own life as a ransom. That's such a huge theme in the scriptures. And so if you could lose your salvation, it would be reasonable to expect that the scriptures would explain how you would lose it because they very clearly explain how you receive it. And we just don't see that in the scriptures as far as how you would lose, go about losing your salvation. So kind of with that in mind, that leads into the next question question, what are some scriptures that do help us understand this issue? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So we want to see the totality of scripture. And that was a great point, Josh. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us how to lose it. And that would be kind of important, you would think. Absolutely. Like if you're, if you're going to ever reject this, this is what you do. This is how you formalize the rejection. Um, otherwise, how would you know you ever rejected it? You yeah. Because you can clearly see how you receive it. So that, that's a great point. Um, well, I'm not going to explain all the context and all the details, but we're going to go through some of these. And I would encourage people to read through these um, contextually, which, you know, in school they say upstream, downstream. So if we say Ephesians 1 verse 13, I would encourage you to read the whole chapter of Ephesians 1 yeah, and see the, the totalness because it'll even give more weight. But the idea in Ephesians 1 is that 
you know, we have a salvation that the Holy Spirit seals and guarantees. Yeah. And so that basically says that the Holy Spirit is not able to seal and not able to guarantee um, because you walk, you you walked away, you lost it. So it was sealed and then it's not sealed. So you broke the seal, Yeah, you know, and so now we've completed, it has a Trinitarian effect. It affects the father's ability, the son's ability, and now the Holy Spirit's ability. And so when it says that we're sealed as a believer and we're guaranteed, and you even look in Ephesians one, you know, we're adopted, we have an inheritance, all these things. Um, no one's able to fulfill their, their role as seen in scripture. So that's hard. Uh, Philippians 1, 6 says, he who began a good work will bring it to completion. So God basically starts it, but he can't finish. You know, he's unable to finish. And so it's God starts the work. He will bring it to completion. And so that's the whole idea of, you know, he is always working in us and through us. And that's what allows us to finish and bring it to completion is the work of the spirit, because we now have a new identity as an adopted child of God. Yeah. You know, so that's a, a good one. You know, John chapter six is really good <clears throat> because it says all that the father gives me, um, I will never cast out. And so that word all really means all in except for, um, you know, Jesus wasn't able to keep you, you know, he wasn't able to hold you. He, he lost you, which goes into your John 10 passage is that basically uh, no one will snatch them out of my hand. And so you open up Jesus's hand and you jump out. And so you see very clearly that Jesus is saying, hey, I'm receiving those that were yours and they are now mine. And I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. I'm not going to lose them. I'm going to keep them. The Holy Spirit's going to seal them, guarantee them. And I'm going to deliver them to you one day, you know, yeah. in the future kingdom. So that's, it, it's huge on what it does to Jesus and the Holy Spirit um, as you look through it. So those are kind of some, some passages that talk about uh, just the guarantee and the Jesus ability to keep those who were his and not lose what the father's given him. And so it kind of begs the question, well, what happens when we see people who say they're a Christian, but they don't act like a Christian. And yeah. it's like, you know, the Bible definitely talks about that. You look at um, Luke 15 and you just see the story of the prodigal son. And, you know, that's, it's just a beautiful story because it's so real for us now. Yes. And you see a son who essentially has this uh, just kind of pride and has this burning desire to go against everything he was taught and essentially go out on his own. And so he asked the, the father for his inheritance, um, which was a huge slap in the face because you're not supposed to get that till he's dead. And he's saying, can you kind of die early or I wish you would die now? And uh, so he takes the money, he goes, he squanders it. And we can tell he was doing all kinds of bad stuff from gambling to prostitution to, you know, drinking tons. And essentially it's all gone. He's eating with pigs and he realizes, you know, if I go back to the father and I ask to be a servant, you know, maybe just maybe I could eat like a servant and the servants eat better than the pigs. So he's like, you know, maybe, maybe this will work and I got to eat somehow and I got to sleep. So he goes back to the father. And as you read in Luke 15, the father opens his arms, receives him and throws a party and says, my son was lost, but now is found. And so I think the, the moral of that's of that truth is, you know, sometimes we do lose our way. Um, but if you're his, you always come back. Um, you 
are always a son. You're always a daughter. You always come back to the father. And so that's a great distinction I think you see in the Bible is that, yeah, you know, sometimes we we do wander. But if you're his, you'll come back to the father and the father will receive you joyfully. Yeah. And so the hard part is that sometimes pe- people take that as permission to wander. Yeah. Right. And then it's an abuse of grace and it's an abuse of salvation. And so that kind of leads to another question, which, you know, first John two nineteen gets to the to the heart of it is that those who were among us and left us were never one of us. So first John two nineteen gets at that idea if if they leave and never come back, they never were. Yeah. And that's and that's hard because we don't know the context of the timing of this. Was the prodigal son fifteen years, two years, one week? You know, we don't we don't know this. Um, but we know that he came back. Um, and that we know in first John it's saying, hey, there's gonna be some people that come and they're gonna play the part and they're gonna leave. And you're gonna say, Well, why'd they leave? And you say, Well, they left because they were never one of us. And you know, that bleeds into the you know, parable of the soils that sometimes it gets choked out and it gets scorched by the heat. And so scripture has many examples and and none finer than Matthew seven, where, you know, there's a group of people saying Hey, Lord, Lord, we did signs and wonders in your name. Like they have tangible things they've done. And he says, get away from me. I never knew you. And so we have to be aware that in the scripture, there is false believers. There are people who will come to our churches who aren't Christian. Um, Some of them might come to know Jesus while they're here. And some of them might not. Um, There's going to be people that leave that never were Christian. And there's going to be people that leave and then come back. And really only the father knows how all that's working. Um, but we do see the, the, the full scope in scripture that, yeah, okay, there's going to be people that don't act like they're Christian. Um, and if they are Christian, they'll come back. And if not, they'll stay away. Yeah, absolutely. And some other passages that, that I've appreciated on this subject is you mentioned Matthew 7. Mm-hmm. And also there's Matthew 13. Uh, 1 through 9, 18 through 23, which is the kind of the parable of the soils. And then also Matthew 23 through, or sorry, Matthew 23, 25 through 28, which speaks of um, the Pharisees um, and, and Jesus addressing kind of their hearts and how they look clean on the outside, but really on the inside, they're, they're full of wickedness. And so um, the scriptures do help us understand um, this subject, but but it's difficult because it's it's difficult to grasp the fact that people can receive the word with joy and give the appearance of being a Christian when in mm. fact they are not. That's that's a hard truth yep. to understand and to experience. Um, and we really see in so many places throughout Scripture that the evidence of genuine faith is good fruit. And yet, sometimes fruit looks good on the outside when, in reality, it's rotten on yep. the inside. Um, and so, those are some some of the scriptures that help us understand that issue. One more that I really like is um, Jude in the end of Jude, oh, yeah. uh, which uh, speaks of this fact that God, who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you um, as holy and blameless, kind of that that idea that it's God, God is the one who, who is presenting you as holy and blameless. He's the one who's keeping you from stumbling. 
So just to, just to be clear, as we kind of finish this section, kind of what I'm hearing from you, Eric, is that really the, from the scriptures, there's, I would say, overwhelming evidence that you cannot lose your salvation. Would you agree with that? No, absolutely. Yeah. Great. Okay, so as we kind of move forward, we look, we've we looked at some different scriptures, maybe on a little bit more of a practical level for this next question. How do we approach people we think have walked away from God? Uh, that's a great question, and I think it's, it's something we always want to be sensitive about, and we want to acknowledge um, that we don't know what's going on inside. And so I think you, you have to start with prayer. You have to start that uh, the Holy Spirit would guide you and lead you, give you wisdom and discernment. And hopefully the, the second part of that is that you're going out of a place of love. Um, and it's not out of a place of judgment or condemning or, um, you know, I'm better than you. Because that, no matter what your message is in that context, it's not received well. And so by acknowledging that it's a big deal uh, should show, okay, I got to have the right tone. Right? I got to have the right heart, the right intent. I need to be prayerful and thoughtful in my conversation. And then two, you know, it's it's fair to say, hey, you know, you're a Christian. You know, you believe according to God's word. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And let them, let them clarify uh, if they don't. And then as a Christian, you always have a right to say, hey, we both act according to God's word. I don't, I don't see that in, and then fill in the blank of your concern. You know, if you see someone who's never coming to church and they're going to bars every night and it's fair to say, Hey, you know, it seems like you are starting to get addicted or maybe you love alcohol more than you love Jesus. I'm just showing you what I see. Can you help me understand uh, like what's going on? Yeah. You know, are you just in a rut? Um, you know, it's been six months, it's been three months, whatever it is. And just kind of let them do it. Um, and then sometimes you'll, you'll find someone they're like, yeah, I don't believe any of that stuff anymore, you know? Yeah. And, uh, they, and you're, you're really shocked because they were so passionate and they were so committed and they were so faithful and it was, you know, just a scene and that's hard for you. And, and then it's fair just to say like, like what happened? And at that moment, they've identified they're not a Christian. So you treat them like they're not a Christian. And what does that mean? It means you share the gospel with them, you know, and, and invite them back to Jesus, invite them back to church and, you know, kind of maybe see where something didn't connect for them. You know, maybe they thought when they became a Christian, they'd get a better job or their marriage would be different or their kid relationship would be different or their money situation would be different. And it didn't. And so they had the appearance of belief, but really didn't, you know, yeah. it was conditioned upon health or wealth or circumstances or relational, you know, prosperity. So to drop back and say, well, this is what the gospel is, and this is what he promises. Um, and that is worth it. And what he does offer is better than anything this world offers. And just walk them through what the gospel is, because they're one of the reasons they probably fell away or never worse because they didn't either understand the full gospel or, you know, they didn't see how what Jesus is offering is better. Yeah. You know, and so they walk and go down that path because they think it's a better path. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, at least in my experience, it's a lot more difficult when you have someone 
who is like claiming to be a Christian, but not like right. living yeah. the Christian life compared to you just have someone flat out saying, no, I don't believe this, whether it be I never did or I don't believe it anymore or whatever it may be, you know, because with the first situation, it's almost like you have to convince them that they're really not a Christian, even though that they're kind of claiming to be maybe. And you have to do that, I think, gently with love, pointing them to scriptures, as you as you said. So I think in addition to kind of what you were saying, some helpful things to just keep in mind are be willing to have that conversation Absolutely. W- with that person. A lot of times, a lot of times we may see something like that, but at the end of the day, we're not willing to have that difficult conversation with that person. And so I think in a lot of ways, God can use that to challenge us um, to, to trust him and having that conversation with that person and approaching that conversation with love, with gentleness, and also with humility as well. Just saying, Hey, this is what I see in your life. I love you. I'm concerned for you. You know, this is why I'm bringing up kind of this conversation. And I think there's some, in addition to that, there's some helpful truths maybe that we need to understand as well. Part of it I think is, is really just accepting the reality that, we can't know the true intentions of people's hearts because we don't know people's hearts perfectly, you know? And so accepting that, that that's not the role that God has given us. Rather, he's given us the role of, of being faithful and ministering to people, sharing the gospel with them. Um, and then also with that, I think there is the beautiful truth of even though we can't know the intentions of people's hearts, God knows hearts perfectly, mm-hmm. um, which is such a beautiful thing because the heart is, you know, described in Jeremiah as being desperately wicked, mm-hmm. you know. And so trusting that God ultimately in his purity and his fullness of knowledge knows their heart perfectly and knows exactly what they need. And we can trust him for wisdom in that situation and and in doing so, hopefully do the part that he's called us to faithfully and reminding them of the gospel, sharing them, sharing the gospel with them. Yeah, I would I would add to that that ultimately what it comes down to is do you trust the father's judgment? Yeah. You know, that whoever's supposed to be in heaven will be, and whoever's not won't be. And, you know, I think we'll be shocked on both sides. Um, but ultimately that's what it comes down to is, do you trust the father? And then the other side is, well, what do we do? Well, it's, it's really simple as a Christian. If you see another Christian failing, it's our goal and our role to help them, help them in their faith, help strengthen other believers faith. That's what Paul did over and over. I want to strengthen the faith of the believers. We're, we have that same challenge. We need to help strengthen other believers. Sometimes that's by help, you know, help turning them back to the Father, right? Help turning them back to Jesus in that prodigal moment. And then for non-Christians, we're to share the gospel with them. Yeah. And so we just do our role and we trust the results with the Father. And I think when you put the weight of the Father on yourself, that's when this becomes overwhelming. It's not our job to change people. It's our job to do what God tells us to. And that's to point people back to him, point people back to what he says in his word, and if they don't uh, receive that, we can't help that. And and sometimes it might get people mad at you. But ultimately, as the child of God, you're saying being obedient 
is worth whatever type of rejection or consequence I might get. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. So our last question for today, um, considering these things that we've talked about, what are some practical applications that come from knowing that your salvation is secure? Yeah, and so I think these practical applications I will give um, will only be as good as your understanding of the distance between God's holiness and our sinfulness. Because if you don't understand that gap, um, your salvation being secure doesn't really sound that great because you have this sense of you should be in heaven because you're awesome. Yeah. And when that's your... When that's your thought, you know, I've gone to church, I've tithed, I help out in missions, I never cheated on my spouse, and and you think that's why you got to heaven. It's like, well, of course I'm going to heaven. I'm awesome. So there's not really a comfort of that eternal salvation. But if you're seeing he's absolutely perfect, and like you mentioned in, you know, Jeremiah 17, that my heart is wicked. Um, you know, Romans 3, we, we are sinful and you realize how short you fall of God's standard, there's an overwhelming thankfulness of grace that he would give you salvation, of mercy, that he withholds punishment you deserve. And you see that gap and you're like, oh my gosh, I get to be with you forever and I totally don't deserve it. And then when you're in that moment of sin and you realize you're forgiven and you still get to go to heaven, even though you know better and you shouldn't have done it and you can't believe you did it. Um, you've been a Christian a long time. You're like, how do I still struggle with this? And you realize I still go to heaven. Like he still loves me. It's extremely comforting. Yeah. Um, but that comfort will be as deep as your understanding of the gap between your sinfulness and his holiness. And the greater that understanding is, the greater that comfort will be. Oh, that I know where heaven is my home. The other part is you start to realize, you know, in first Peter, we're called you know, citizens of heaven or the idea that we're strangers wandering uh, in a foreign land. And so just knowing heaven is your home, it is your forever home. Uh, when the world gets crazy, you can kind of look through the lens of this is temporary. It's not always going to be like this. I'm going to be with him forever where there's no sin, there's no shame. And, and I know that's kind of a, a heavenly aspect, but that's anchored in the fact that you know your salvation is secure. And you know you get to go to that place when it's all said and done for you. And that's extremely comforting. The other part, I think, is, you know, in Romans, we're, we're called that we were once enemies of God. And then by faith and grace, we become children of God. So that means we're at peace with God. Yeah. Right? Our sin has been atoned for. It's been paid for. We're his. And so we don't fight against him anymore. He loves us. And so the battle is against sin and flesh, and he always loves us. He's our father. He's with us. Jesus has prepared a place for us. We're at peace. And that's a big deal because you can see people who aren't Christian who are not at peace. You Absolutely. Know? And when you have that salvation, you can be at peace. Um, and it's a forever peace, you know, thankfulness, thankful that you know where you're going when you die. And that if you, you know, go stub your toe and start saying things that you shouldn't, um, that doesn't mean, oh, now you don't go. Right. You know, yeah. you're going to sin, but he still loves you and he has a place for you and he always forgives you. And then ultimately, like any good understanding of doctrine, it should always lead to worship. Absolutely. Right? As we know him more, 
and we know him deeper and better, our love grows. And so hopefully knowing your salvation is eternally secure causes you to want to worship. It causes you to want to love him and adore him and be really thankful because you realize I get to go to a place that I have no business being in, that I could never get there on my own. And I, I easily could lose this if I was saved by works, right? Yeah. But because I'm saved by grace, I can't. And that just makes me so excited and so thankful. And I want to sing, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so hopefully as you go through that process, it pushes you towards uh, worship. And I think the last one is that really, you know, in theology, this is sometimes called the, the perseverance of the saints, is it should really help you persevere because you're going to suffer. Things are going to be hard. You're not going to like it. But you have that guarantee in front of you, that sealed promise of I'm going to heaven. He loves me. He's with me. I'm going to be with him. I can get through this. The Holy Spirit is with me, right? God's word never fails. The church is with me. I'm going to push through this. And that's that perseverance. And that's really also an affirming attribute as a Christian that you can look. Because, you know, I think sometimes we do doubt our Christianity. And I think too many people are afraid of that. The scriptures, you know, you read Paul in communion and he's like, examine yourself. Yeah. You know, you see, test yourself to see that you're in the faith. And that's a healthy thing because we are sinful. And sometimes it's like, hey, how did I do that? Like, I know better than to do that. And then you realize, no, I do love the Father and I, and I don't want to sin. And he does love me and I want to be like him. You know, that's sanctification. And it causes you just to be like, wow, I, I love him. And it's that affirmation that you do deal with sin. You do love the Father and you are going to persevere. You're going to keep on going even though it's hard to die to sin. It's hard to suffer. It's hard to be rejected, but you realize, no, I chose Jesus over these things. I'm persevering. That's an affirmation of my salvation. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it helps you know that. And it gives you these kind of blocks you can look back at and say, no, I persevered. I pushed through because of my love for the Father, because of what Jesus did. And it's my response to him. And then you can say, well, if I did those things, surely I can persevere through this. Yeah. And so it should hopefully be a big motivation to help you push through hard times. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing I was thinking through too is just that this doctrine, I think, really helps us and gives us a lot of freedom in serving God's mm. people. Yeah. Because I think if you can, if you could lose your salvation, if that was a possibility, then as you served God's people, I mean, I don't know about everyone else. Maybe it's just me, but the intentions of my heart in serving would probably be I'm doing this partially to make sure I don't lose my salvation. Yeah. You know, and so really like your your intentions in serving in the church, I think, would not be pure, would not be good intentions. They really would be selfish. And so I think a huge part of it is that knowing that you're salvation is secure, that there's nothing that can be done to separate you from the love of the Father. There's uh, such a gratefulness, such a thankfulness, such a peace that comes with that, that can, it really is freeing to, I can genuinely serve other people out of a response to the gospel, out of response to what God's done for me, how great he is, how good he is, how faithful he is to save me when I didn't deserve it. And so I think that's another aspect as well. So as we close today, 
What are maybe some other resources you would recommend for someone who wants to know more about this subject? Yeah, I'm going to go off script here, Josh, because you said something really brilliant and I want to I want to play it out. I want to tease it out. Yeah, sure. Essentially, you know, if we were to go back to what's the big deal if you lose your salvation, right? Um, we're going to tack this on and it's really good what Josh said. If you think about it, basically people become pawns in our game of chess of trying to get to heaven. Yeah. And so I'm just using people to acquire the the bank I need so that I can get in and guarantee and I can seal. And so basically all the good things you do um, become about you earning your way. Yeah. Um, because you can lose it, you can gain it, you can lose it, and you're constantly trying to add those marks. It makes it really hard to have friendships. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I just wanted to add that in. Okay. So back to your question, what resources would I recommend? You know, um, losing your salvation. Uh, there's a lot of academic stuff out there. There's academic journals and, um, usually there's a section in a systematic theology book if you have it. Um, but one of that I think would be on a practical level, um, because I think, uh, it, it, persevering in your faith, um, not losing your salvation really should have practical implications. And so a book I would recommend is Run to Win the Prize by Thomas Schreiner. He has some academic journals on this subject that are great. And he walks through the warning passages in Hebrews, but this really shows why you persevere, how to persevere and how your salvation plays a role in that. Your eternal security plays a role in that. So I I love the practical aspects that he offers in that book. Great. Yeah. And there's a, there's another, if you want to read something maybe a little bit shorter too, um, there's another great article on gotquestions.org called Can a Christian Lose Their Salvation? It shares some of the same scriptures um, that we talked about today, but it also hits some ones that we didn't mention today too. So that's another resource for you. Thanks so much for being here today, Eric, and sharing with us. Yeah, it was awesome. It was fun to walk through all the pieces, and I hope it was helpful for all who listened. So you've been listening to the LBC Podcast, a podcast of Laurel Glen Bible Church in Bakersfield, California. We hope and pray that you are encouraged by today's discussion. If you liked listening to this podcast, please share with a friend and hit the subscribe button to stay up to date on all new podcasts. Thank you for listening, and God bless you. We'll see you next time.